You know, it was only uh, about two weeks or so ago, um, a few days after that tragic Charleston shooting, when social media, as most of you know, exploded with debate and discussion over the Confederate flag. It was about that time that I was saddened to read a post from one of my friends, someone who I considered to be a very thoughtful Christian. I was saddened not so much because of his view on the Confederate flag. I was saddened, in fact, um, by the fact that his comment clearly worked against the message of Jesus that he had come to so strongly identify himself with. So I left a comment begging him to take it down. Then another person piped up, evidently a Christian, and said this, I know that Jesus died and all that, but that has nothing to do with this. On a slightly different note, very slightly, I've been making my uh, way through all the episodes of Frasier, and I absolutely love it. I hope there are some other Frasier fans in the room. Frasier and Niles are so very near and dear to my heart. I think they're near and dear to my heart because I see myself in them, which is not something you should publicly confess, but there it is. But really, if you think about any Frasier episode, it typically revolves around sibling rivalry. Frasier and Niles are always planning so hard to be the elite of the elite. They want to be someone in society. They want to throw fancy parties. Um, there's just always uh, a trying to curate a certain self and be someone. Yet reaching that ideal self always remains elusive, as you know if you've watched it. Always remains just out of reach. So the other day I watched a particular episode. Um, and Fraser and Niles, it begins with, uh, excuse me, Fraser and his dad, Martin, they're in a car, and they spot uh, Niles right beside them in another car. So they wave to him, and he immediately speeds up ahead, trying to avoid them. Frazier uh, calls Niles on the cell phone and says, what are you doing? Why are you uh, speeding up ahead of me? He says, I'm not in the car. I'm at my apartment. He's in this hatchback, an old car no one would want to be seen in. And Niles just cannot stand to be seen in that car. He's put up a certain persona, and he has to keep that up. It turns out in the end that Fraser, excuse me, Niles is going through a bit of a rough patch financially after his divorce. Fraser delivers some bad news to him and says, Niles, you've got to cut back. He says, you've got to quit paying this much rent for your uber-expensive apartment. And Niles confesses this to him. Frazier, ever since I was a little boy, I have walked by this building and wondered what sort of people could live in such a magnificent place. Getting in here after Maris dumped me proved that I was not a complete failure. Niles, I believe, is a picture not just of me, but of all of us. We all at some level or another, some manifestation or another, have to curate a certain self. We have to put forward a certain self before other people. And if we fail at that, we will be just like Niles and we will hide ourselves from others. We will do whatever it, to prote do whatever it takes to protect this identity. And how exhausting, how lifeless, and how unfree that is.
If you want another picture of what we look like, just go read a few technology blogs. I love checking out um, you know, culture and technology blog blogs that discuss the new iPhones and the new Android phones, et cetera, et cetera. If you just check the comment section, you will see bashing and bashing. Fanboys will emerge, uh, Apple fanboys, Android fanboys, and they will start being so hostile toward one another. And it's just, it's a phenomenon. Uh, and, and someone wrote uh, on The Verge, a, a blog that I like to read, someone wrote uh, this about the phenomenon. It's not about loving the product, it's about what the product represents. And you know, I, I think T-Swizzle, that would be Taylor Swift for those of you who don't know, uh, she in her new 1989 album, she was really perceptive when in Welcome to New York, uh, she wrote this about New York City. Everyone here was someone else before. New York City in our culture stands and it represents this recreation of the self, doesn't it? So all of this is to say, from T-Swizzle to technology blogs to Fraser, all of this is to say that we live in a marketplace of identities, don't we? It can revolve around the Confederate flag, like my friend. It can be living in a posh apartment, like Niles. Or it can be about which smartphone you sport. Whatever they are, it's about making my identity and protecting it, regardless of what it costs others and regardless of what it costs me. And you know, sadly, many in our day assume that this is the sort of game Christianity is playing at. To pick up that marketplace analogy once more, people tend to think that Christianity is just another mere human product that we are selling to people. Just one more thing that we are getting out into the marketplace. Francis Spufford has written a book called Unapologetic, Why Despite Everything, Christianity Can Still Make Surprising Emotional Sense. Here's what he says in his very raw and edgy style. You may think that it's the essence of religion to believe that some human agenda or other has divine backing, there being no other source of agendas except humanity, but our sky fairy is an uncooperative one. It manifests as a voice comparing the kingdom to 20 different impractical, unpalatable, ungovernable things. In the heat of some dreadful surge of certainty, we may manage to drown the voice out for a while, but it always comes back in the end, reminding us that power is not in itself what we are supposed to be hoping for. It is not the medium in which the kingdom can be realized. Unfortunately, before in the end arrives, there has often been time for us to fulfill to fill the prisons and bless the armored divisions. Nor does the church need to have wielded direct civil authority to do harm to the flourishing of the lives within its reach. The power of perception is considerable too, the power to mold cultural judgments. Here is the fourth and last of the areas of persistent damage for which Christianity is to blame. A recurring tendency to give religious sanction to whatever is small c conservative in society at the expense of everybody who falls outside the conservative definition of what's good and natural. We are supposed to be the universal harbor for the guilty, an organization in which no one claims to look at anyone else from the higher ground of virtue. I might like to add that it 
In addition to carving out a niche, small C conservative, which is probably our tendency here in the South, there's also an equal tendency to carve out a sort of small L liberal section too, isn't there? So what I'm getting at is if it's secular or if it's religious, there's always a tendency to make an identity and to throw everybody else who's outside of that over there. It's us versus them. It's identity making. And when it happens in the church, we make Jesus just another supporting actor in our story. Just one more human possibility. But from Ephesians, we've just heard a profoundly other message. In fact, it's such a marvel of a message that I, quite frankly, don't even know how to break it down in 15 minutes. I've just written some uh, bullet points down from what Ephesians has said. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. He has predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in the beloved. We have redemption and forgiveness according to his lavish grace. His will is to unite all things in Jesus Christ. There is an inheritance that we have been given, and we are stamped with a Holy Spirit. There is a lot here, and Paul packages it up to tell us that this gospel message is so radically transforming, transforming and profound. It is so transforming that in chapters 4 through 6, he shows us what it looks like to have heard this gospel message. It's so practical for the everyday that it, bears, it has bearing on how you handle your, yourself at Publix or how you speak to your children. And yes, it has everything to do with social media discussions about the Confederate flag. We here are to know and deepen in the realization that Jesus is the sum total of the new creation. God is making all things new. Through the Spirit, the Father has united us to Christ, and all that is His is ours. All things find their yes and amen in Him. What is God's will, says Ephesians? It is to unite all things in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So when you think back to angry tech enthusiasts, when you think back to Niles and Fraser, when you think back to Taylor Swift, or even when you think back to social media discussions about the Confederate flag, we realize that Ephesians has a totally different tenor. It shows us that Jesus has everything to do with our identity. Over and against that emaciated view of the gospel that says Jesus is just for Sunday mornings, over and against that view, Ephesians shows us that God in Christ has stormed the last bastion of the self. In his incarnation, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, God has dissolved the identity-making of our old man. He has rendered all of our sinful, human possibilities passe. He has at last established himself as God, and he has established us in Christ. We are no longer this person or that person. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
the mystery of God's will that he has made known to us is that he is uniting us and summing up all things in creation in Christ. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. In trying to summarize and to conclude what I'm saying, I think a band um, named The Bad Sons uh, summarizes it well. They have a song called Salt. And just imagine you or, or whoever standing at the sink before the bathroom mirror overloaded with this uh, anxiety. It says, look in the mirror and tell me what it is like to be free. How do I grasp reality when I don't have an identity? Who, who can I look to because I'm not like you? And I don't believe in the truth because all of my life's built on lies. Stuck inside of the wrong frame, I don't feel attached to this name. How do I grasp reality when I don't have an identity? Who, who can I look to because I'm not like you? And I don't believe in the truth because all of my life's built on lies. That is a symptom of the Adam story. That is a picture of all of us. Ever since Adam and Eve reached out to touch that barbed wire loaded with electricity, that forbidden fruit that they partook of, that attempt to be gods in their own eyes that in fact was a mirror image of themselves. Outside of Eden, we are all perpetually having to grasp and curate and make. Ah, but the Christian, we here even now, we have heard an altogether radically new word. In this winter of sin, we in Jesus Christ are the first signs of spring. God has at last established himself, and he has established us in Jesus Christ. We have been erased out of the Adam story and put into God's story in Christ. We have received grace. This whole new way of being, this whole new orientation in Christ. And now at last, we are free to give up on our identity-making projects, free to give up on the navel-gazing, and love one another. Behold, in Christ, you are new creations, and we here are one in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.